32 counties united by people. Una is not here, but my name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. Every week on United Ireland, we go under the hood of issues in Ireland, beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. This week, I, I trudge on without Una. Um, she's on her holidays and we, we love for a holiday and we support holidays. Uh, so I hope you're having a ball, Una. Miss you. Um, but without you, I, I, I drive on. Um, and at this week, as we continue to see vaccinations taking place, a very big uptake on them in Ireland. I think we're one of the highest uptakes, which is great news. Um, but we're going to look and work towards a more normal life resuming as that all happens. So this week we are talking to people who looked at life through a pandemic lens and looked at creating for the times we live in through the art of the temporary. Um, experiences that may not be forever, but that maybe we'll take learnings from forever as we move into a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. This podcast could also be temporary without your support. It takes time, effort and work to make it happen. I know it seems like so nonchalant and that we just throw it together. Uh, no, it doesn't seem like that. It's very well thought out. But if you'd prefer for it to be less of a temporary thing and for it to live forever. Wow, that was that actually hit quite the high note. I'm delighted with that. Do think about popping over to patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and signing up for as little as three euro a month so we can channel our best Goldie Hawn in Death Becomes Her and live forever. Hopefully less raggedy though. But for now, it's time for State of the Nation. So, State of the Nation this week. Uh, the doll has gone on its holidays, but as we've been told, they're not really on holidays. They're still working. Um, but anyway, everyone deserves a holiday. But so things are quieter. Um, the main thing, um, the main focus of Miriam Lord's uh, joyous column the other day was the bridal protest. Now, I kind of felt sorry for the people who took part in that um, because they <laughs> got hung out dry. Let's be honest. And like, obviously it's warranted. Um, it wasn't very clear that they were actually people working in the bridal, in, in, the, in the industry of getting married. And I think that it's fair enough that for any industry that has no work or that their work is very limited, that they can't work and that they would be able to call on uh, the government to maybe have a roadmap or have some answers. But the way it was positioned was just very unfortunate that it was meant to be 200 brides in wedding dresses for a picture, hence why it got so much coverage, because there was a lot of conversations about the media coverage of it and how did five people uh, in white dresses get so much coverage when thousands and thousands of people have taken to the streets to protest against uh, loads of human rights issues, um, yet this got acres and acres of coverage on the t on TV, radio and news. And obviously uh, there's, there's interest in the novelty and um, the fact that it was brides protesting that love is not cancelled. Come on. 
Um, I think it was a big mistake not approaching it from um, an industry perspective as opposed to brides who want to get married. Uh, but also I thought it was really the pits uh, from Stephen Donnelly who made a comment that because they, they were they were protesting against numbers at weddings. They wanted 100 instead of 50. And then Stephen Donnelly was coming out to make an announcement that it was going to be increased. Was it because of the protest? We'll never know. Uh, but he said, I think we should hopefully have some good news for brides. And dare I say, some grooms as well. Like, it just really belittles weddings that it's only the women who want to get married and um, that grooms are just there for the crack and um, hopefully not even hopefully like men are there as much as the women men marrying men as well what about that Stephen huh anyway the whole thing was in absolute bento bits um also perhaps in bento bits you decide Catherine Zappone's appointment um, for an envoy is getting a lot of heat from the opposition. Um, she was appointed um, as special envoy for freedom of expression. Um, and the, there's been a lot of uh, criticizing going on, um, mainly because uh, Catherine Zappone approached Simon Coveney to offer herself up for a position of special envoy before the appointment was made. The reason people are annoyed is because it wasn't a public uh, position and it wasn't open to other people. Uh, Miss Sapone created the role and got the role. Now, obviously, she's very well suited. She um, served as a minister for children in the last Finnegale led government. Um, and she has done a lot of work in terms of freedom of expression, fighting for human rights and marriage equality and all that jazz. Um, but what kind of made it worse was uh, well, maybe my favorite TD, can't remember her name, went on tonight. First of all, Michal Martin was like, we're just going to move on. It is what it is. Uh, okay but then um my favorite td that i can't remember her name went on tv and was like look it's not that high a paid a job it's only 15 grand a year but when you break it down i think it's a 60 hour job so it's like 300 euro an hour which is what we were saying was too much to pay people for a week to survive um yeah so there's just it's not great it do, the optics aren't great whatever way um maybe it was the best thing to happen it just wasn't handled very well let's be honest also something that's not being handled very well maternity restrictions are still in place this blows my mind and it must be so frustrating uh, Holly Kearns did a beautiful piece in the Indo this week, just talking about how bananas it was that you can go in and have a pint, but yet fathers can't see their children being born or uh, women are miscarrying on their own and why there wasn't the same attention giving to easing these restrictions as there was to, let's say, the hospitality industry. Obviously, there's a much larger um, lobbying group in the hospitality industry. And it's so depressing that things are like seem to be led by lobbyists as opposed to what makes sense. Now, I do have to say that uh, the government are, uh, they could probably make some moves, but it is actually each of the maternity hospitals who are making these calls themselves um, because it's easier. 
basically to have less people in uh, with restrictions. Um, but you do have to think how lo- how many more times can women's uh, issues be negated and how long do we have to keep shouting that this is something that needs to change um, and that's something that like for it just is so like the way endo has been sidelined into something that's just someone having a period pain when it is so much more than that and the effects of having to birth alone and not having your partner there or not seeing your child being born I really think we'll be talking about this for a long time um, and I really hope that the restrictions are removed sooner rather than later. In a bit more good news, Olympic medals for Irish women rowers, Emily Haggerty, Afrika, Emer Lam and Fiona Murta uh, were the first Irish medal winners this year um, and then Gosh, damn, those men came along and scooped gold. Uh, I'm only joking. Uh, fair play to Paula Donovan and Finta McCarthy, who uh, got the gold for rowing. So it seems we're replacing fighting and horse racing, horse riding for um, rowing. It's becoming our sport, national sport that we're going to do well in. We love to see it. Also things we love to see. <laughs> Uh, Nell Rock and Maria Bailey having Twitter scraps uh, is just get the fucking popcorn out um, Banana 10 Finnegalers eating themselves um, yeah I'd, I'd have a look at their little tweets there um, in more good news got State of the Nation's very good this week I must be in a positive mood 70% of the adult population are fully vaccinated Um and 85% are partially vaccinated. And that's obviously going to rise much quicker. Leo Varadkar tweeted that we were going to overtake uh, the UK for a vaccinations um, percentage, which is absolutely phenomenal. So <laughs> Great Britain, they can say a few ha-has to us. But anyway, that's great news. We're slowly and steadily getting there. And we love to see it. We also love to see uh, that there's an anti-vax uh, lock uh, protest the other day and it was very upsetting to see so many people who are protesting against um something that will will eradicate a, a, a deathly virus um and i understand that people have may have some worries um and that's fine but we cannot eradicate this if we don't all get on board um but on the same day as i think there was 2000 protesting 62000 people were vaccinated so while sometimes these things can uh feel like they are flaring up and that the loudest shout is being heard at the same time there's so many people who are actually getting vaccinated so woohoo and I don't know if this is good or bad, but we'll 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 lean into the positive here. Uh, it was announced that Ireland is one of the world's five places best suited to survive a global collapse of society. <laughs> Lucky us! Um, according to a new study, uh, the others are Iceland, Tanzania, the UK, and topping the list, New Zealand. Um, all islands. Uh, 
So yeah, there you go. If you're living in Ireland and the whole global collapse of society comes about, you are in a good place or a better place. I don't think it's going to be a good place if that all happens. But sure, look, let's let's hope that we we live another day without a global collapse of society, huh? So the pandemic forced us to think differently about so many things. And one of those things was the space we occupy and how we utilize it, but also how we can gather safely within those spaces. This week, we're going to talk to two people who've been reimagining space through the lens of the pandemic, not just pivoting, which is a word we're not allowed to use on this podcast, but creating something new to experience. Uh, first up, talking about the art of the temporary, I'm talking to Niall Davidson from Alta Wine Bar on South Frederick Street in Dublin, and more recently, Alta Wa- Summerhouse. Um, Alta Summerhouse is, in their own words, a convivial dining experience cooked over fire, celebrating the producers of the Boyne Valley, and continues their tradition of using sustainable Irish ingredients and supporting the most skilled farmers, fishermen, and foragers in the country, all on the banks of the River Boyne on the grounds of Slain Castle. Uh, Niall, thanks a million for joining us. No worries. Thank you for having me. Um, So obviously the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns were a contributing factor to the reason Alta Summerhouse came about. But can you tell us a bit about how it came about the way it did, like in Slain, over fire, (laughs) in a tent? Yeah, no, I can definitely. So uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a very brief kind of backstory into how we ended up in a in a in a fully functional restaurant in a field on the banks of the Boyne near a castle. <laughs> uh, it's quite a good one, actually. So we had just opened, uh, I was in London for like 10 years and was kind of completely burnt out, not really enjoying hospitality, had a business that kind of like, Couplet did really well. My latest one didn't do the best, you know what I mean? And I was just not really enjoying life. So I thought it's probably time to just kind of come back to Ireland. Uh, I grew up, I was born in Scotland, but I grew up in Derry. And I got, don't really have tons of connections to Dublin, but quite a lot of family and cousins here and stuff like that. So little space came up. I was like, you know what, I'll give it a shot. And then uh, we opened up Alter. Two months after we opened up Alter, or three months after we opened up Alter, the coronavirus came and we had to close Alta, which wasn't ideal. But like, you've just got to, my whole ethos in life is that you just can't stop. You know what I mean? You just got to keep doing and keep going. It's just got, you got to truck on, you got to, so we kind of, within four weeks we had opened, we'd started the Alta box, which was like, yeah, just a kind of simpler version of what we did in the restaurant. Uh, we just had a nice box. We sold, yeah, we sold like over 10,000 around Ireland and it kind of just went a bit nuts and it was great. It was just kept us doing something. And then what we found was the year before when with coronavirus around, even doing the online stuff, kind of when it got to summer and people kind of, the sun came out and people started dining outside the online sales kind of started to the window. So at the start of this year, I was like, you know what? We just need to think about something that we can do this summer. That is kind of like, 
secures us from government restrictions from this and also means that people can have a good time can dine safely can do this can do that so um me and you uh, a partner in alto we uh when we first started alto we always thought it'd be great to do something out of the city in the summertime just something quite fun quite enjoyable so long story short we finished the boxes up in may around march time we started prospecting for a site to do either something in we were looking in dublin initially but it's just the sites don't really exist you know what i mean yet without the hassle uh i know alex uh coinan for who is a younger younger lord at slain as a good just a good friend from years ago in london and i just called him up one day and i was like alex bit of a mad one for you but like how about we do a restaurant in a field <laughs> And I was like, you got quite a lot of land up there. You must have somewhere that kind of like we can fit. And like I told, I'd mentioned this idea to quite a few people, but they actually thought I was completely nuts, which is, uh, happens. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so pretty much what happened was we like, there's over 20 people work, work with me. And I just like the main thing for me over COVID has been securing people's financial stability, you know what I mean? Yes, it's about keeping brands alive. Yes, it's about doing this, but it's also about like, you know what I mean? Living off 330 euros a week and, and easy, you know what I mean? So if we have, like, we have the means to do something to, and we've actually increased, we've doubled our team over, over the COVID pandemic. So the summer house came about was, I was like, let's just, let's put a restaurant in a, in somewhere beautiful within an hour of Dublin and we looked around Slane. Slane works very well because not only has it got that kind of like fun factor attached to it already with the kind of like with the, the gigs and stuff like that, but the boathouse field down there is just like beautiful. You know what I mean? It's like right in the boing. There's a little bit of a kind of like walk down from the castle. So I kind of found the space and I was like, this is perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then we worked with... Uh, like a native events, a kind of sustainable events company and how, how to put a restaurant there from like a services perspective. And then the food kind of, the food that we wanted to do, I really wanted to make the food just hyper local to the Boyne Valley. So we did like a couple of days where we just went and saw as many kind of producers around there and it's so good around there. Like, and, uh, and the summer house was born. And I guess the last thing I'd say is like, we kind of, we knew that, I kind of like think about throughout this COVID, you've always got to like, I always think if you wait around to wait to tell you what the government are going to do, you're kind of a bit screwed. You always got to be throwing the dice a little bit. And I kind of planned that like, we didn't really want to go back into Dublin until mid-September. You know what I mean? Mm. Usually it's not that busy until then anyway, because everybody's out and about. And then I wanted to do something that was kind of like it, like it's in a tent, but it's in a very fancy tent. It's it's indoor dining, but fifty percent of the doors or the the walls are open, so there's a nice airflow, and it's been amazing because you're getting loads of young people, you're getting old people, you're getting seventy fifth birthdays, you're getting dogs, you're getting babies, you're getting like tables of six twenty five year old girls. You know what I mean? It's like the real mix of people are coming and enjoying it. So it's been a, and then yeah, that's kind of how it was born, and it's. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's it's due to and um, I can't believe I'm talking about it ending. It's only started. It's due to end in September. So do you think that doing something like that? Because 
I, I was lucky enough to be down there at the weekend. It's it's so premium. It's so, the attention to detail is stunning. And um, it actually kind of reminds me of Heartwood in Tulum, the cooking over fire and the and the outdoor vibes and all. Um, and it was fab. But like, do you think that because of the temporary nature of it, it allowed you to maybe push things, try things out and push the creativity that you yeah, already well, have? Yeah. Or, was it, or no, I, am I projecting? No, I don't think you mean, I think like it's a very fair question. If I'm honest, I think like we, I think there's like a really, I think Ireland is evolving so quickly in a great way and like a really kind of like, I think Ireland's evolving quicker than Ireland realizes it's evolving. You know what I mean? And like, you're getting like, cause I grew up in Derry from like four to 21 and you know what I mean? A lot of us travel, a lot of us go and work and like go somewhere. It's like the coffees, the kind of coffee kind of things, a good example of it. Where, you know what I mean? It's like, like people at 25 to 44 year old age group are like, you don't need to go away to different countries to experience stuff when, when we can just do it here. <laughs> and I think it has got to be a case of like build it and they will come in the sense of like attention to detail and the temporary nature of the thing, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't, you know what I mean? Like what we've kind of done with the altar with altars. Yes. We're all chefs. Yes. We like to cook really good, tasty food that we want to eat, but you know, I mean, an experience just can't just be about that. That is the kind of like the, that's the foundation of it, but you've got to, you've got to put a nice soundtrack in a nice light and a nice website, a nice experience, a nice whole kind of thing. And like, Yes, it is a 12-week venture. It's a 12-week venture that potentially we wouldn't have done if COVID came about, probably couldn't have done. But I just think that, like, with COVID happening, it's made people just think completely, completely kind of outside the box. And is that a good thing? Definitely. Because, like, it's made us see that, like, we're, like, 380 people that come to us every week. And we're pretty much... We've been, we've been going five weeks now and we've been like 98% full for those five weeks. And we're pretty much a couple of earlier tables left on Thursday, Fridays in August. But it's an experience. And for me, being able to do that and being able to get the support of, of people from all over Ireland coming to it, it just hasn't really sunk in yet, <laughs> if I'm honest. Uh, and then with... Oh, go no, go I was just saying with the temporary nature of it, it just is what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a temporary event, but it's also like the altar. Like, I don't really put my name forward that much when it comes to altar. I like, I think really good, like really good products and brands should always speak for themselves. And they're kind of like, they're more like a, what's the word they're more like a kind of like they are they are the people that come to them you know what i mean so like uh yeah i think our kind of like our alter brand like alter amia means wild beast in irish and that's why we pick like alter because it's kind of like a little bit of a kind of bastardization of an irish word and but it's it's a very strong word that means wild uh in in some contexts and i just think like the main thing about these things is that like we've had a really shitty 14, 15 months. It's nice to just be having fun. It's nice to see your table down there and just to be enjoying it and being a bit of normality and back into things 
that won't happen forever, but yeah. definitely now and probably into next year, there'll be chances for these things to to to, to happen, and hopefully that then breeds into further further more like more stuff in the future. But that's the that's the kind of that's it. Do you think though that the pandemic has changed in as Irish people and I suppose the world? Um, how we're going to move forward with dining experiences and what we expect because the novelty is really set in the art of the novelty and it really like I like it you could see different restaurants offering more novelty things to kind of get people to step out of their whatever yeah. they're in and obviously out of necessity but it did open doors to be more playful and and for people to try different things and to take more risks and it wasn't just like people were so reliant i think before the pandemic on you could go into a restaurant to your table you sit down whereas now there seems to be this whole spectrum of experiences that are being provided do you think that yeah no i, I, I completely agree i think like what happens and like I think it's the, the, there's two different mindsets. There's the mindset of the consumer and there's the mindset of the person that's like operating restaurants. For me, it's like what, when something like COVID comes and you can't go anywhere, you really realize what you might have taken for granted pre-COVID. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like catching up with your friends, going somewhere, not having to book, being able to walk in. But like, like the restaurant industry was 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 very was broken before COVID. You know, I mean, it was impossible to pay people correctly, and still impossible to pay rents, and it was very hard to like. It's definitely hard to 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 make a business out of it. To make a like for me, it's like with the guys that work with me. I want to make sure that they have like pensions. I want to make sure that they have healthcare. I want to make all these things, and it's just impossibly hard to do that while still paying massive rents. So kind of things that like things I've learned from it are that like eating should be an experience. Catching up with people should be an experience for me. And it shouldn't be something that you might not, maybe like I think, I think restaurants kind of have, will split two ways. There'll be the very kind of super casual, which will be kind of, I just want to go out and get something to eat. And then you'll have the more experiential dining experience and like, and I think they will always be there. There's always a market for that if it's good. I think that like anything, if you're good, you're good. You know what I mean? If you're in the middle, you're probably gone, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, like it's, it's you know what I mean? I think there's, de- I think people now need to kind of like, people like few things is that like, going out for dinner now and going out and with your friends and going out with your family, it's it's not really as casual as it was before. You know what I mean? Because you have the planet, you need to do it. Need to, and maybe that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing because maybe that means that like you need to charge more for it no matter what. You know what I mean? You need to pay people better. And when you look at like restaurant models, they're like, there isn't, there isn't much at the bottom no matter how much you charge. You know what I mean? And like, uh, so, yeah, I think that just going back to your initial question of the temperiness of these events, I definitely think that like, you know what I mean? You, like this is, this is a thing that's like experiential dining is something that needs to stay. Cause if you look at any good restaurant around the world, it is an experience, <laughs> you know what I mean? It is like, it is something that kind of like takes you there and takes you in and grips you. And then like, 
and that's I think that's the kind of maybe that that's kind of what we more focus on at Alta as well is that yes we are addicted to cooking great food but at the same time you want a nice soundtrack you want nice service you want I always say if you're in a restaurant whatever you can touch has got to be good quality you know what I mean it's like all these little attention to details are massive for the customer's experience and that's more that's a big focus of mine as well yeah, you could tell the plates and the glasses were gorgeous. It was just like, mm, delicious. <laughs> yeah. uh, but something I also noticed was uh, a lot of the time in Ireland, when I, I'm, I'm a recent vegetarian, when I go for, when I have, go to restaurants, I get like mushrooms or whatever, pea risotto. It's a pain in the hill. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And like, I, I really felt that the vegetarian menu was thought through and it didn't feel like, I was like losing out to the others who weren't eating meat or whatever. Do you think yeah, that that's something that's going to change in Ireland a bit? It's like, it's got to, it's got to, because like we're in summer, like the thing about like a lot of that does come down to like, like a lot of like we, I'm very pro vegetarianism, you know what I mean? In restaurants, I think it's like, it's a choice. I don't really, I eat meat, I eat fish, but I don't like eating meat if it's not, really good quality you know what i mean i won't yeah. eat fish if it's like i'm pretty picky when it comes to proteins and i think that's the way people need to be because like when you look at like the way chicken's gone pork's gone all these things are gone they're all factory farm people see them as, a, as something you can eat five days a week and like if you go down that it's just it's like it takes a whole enjoyment it takes a whole love for the animal that so when it comes to vegetarianism, it's a big thing for us is like being able to offer really thought-out vegetarian menus. I, like, And it plays to our strengths as well because we make a lot of our own ferments, a lot of our measles, a lot of our vinegars, a lot of our like, and they're all, a lot of them are vegetable-based. And we have a dish on the menu. You had it, the halloumi mm-hmm. with the aubergine. And like, and there's an aubergine stock. And when you try stuff like that, you realize, and like you realize that like, vegetarian food can just be as meaty sometimes as as proteins Mm. Uh, and yeah it's a big it's very important for me to make sure that like like we can always offer that it's a lot harder in winter time definitely but this time of the year in the Boyne Valley you've got so many amazing vegetable growers and you can actually put a 12 course menu on and, and make people feel special that that only vegetables and I, I think that's big and it's something that needs to continue and it's something that like we're not we're not vegan friendly if i'm honest mm. we're not and we never will be and that's not because of any philosophical choice you know what i mean but i like i like protein i like really high welfare native bread pigs and curries and i think that like and fish so we don't really cater for vegans because it's just it's kind of hard with our style of cooking but from a vegetarian perspective we're nearly potentially more vegetarian focused than meat and fish focused sometimes so it's uh yeah it's very important for me to make sure that that you're well that that you're well catered for yay Uh, (laughs) before i let you go um Tell us what is next for Alta Trinity Car Park. Uh, yeah, we're kind of like, if I'm honest, we're looking for a. The summer house was just came out of nowhere in six weeks. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. 
fun it's just like we built ourselves we kind of like just went hard at it we we just managed to just like these things of covid you just gotta evolve and adapt quick you know what i mean you've got to just uh we like our, our look we have a restaurant here which i'm just in the office of now but it's just we have like 20 to 25 team members now and we've kind of outgrown our restaurant whether we like it or not throughout covid so we are looking at a winter house doing something in dublin that's kind of cool and vibey really more kind of like taking everything that we've done at the summer house with like food and the cooking over fire and the produce, but then bringing that back into the city and making a slightly edgier version with like, that would be, you know what I mean? We're like with, and really supporting the art scene too. There's a lot of like artists that haven't had any chances to, uh, you know what I mean? To get their, their, you know, just like really what we want to do with the winter house is, create a really cool free month dining dining art music kind of installation uh it's in trinity car park isn't it uh, i don't know yet we'll see can't say anything yet you know whether we do it there would be great but we have put it this way we have some nice neighbors that are being very very annoying <laughs> <laughs> the main so, uh, challenge of doing anything neighbors <laughs> Oh, I know, Jesus, tell me about it. We have one name, no names, but like, he's just a pain, you know what I mean? But sure, what can you do? You just got to, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, so we're looking at Trinity Car Park for sure. And not the top floor because it's, I mean, we want to do like an indoor dining. We want to turn like car parks in Dublin are a thing of the past, whether we like them or not. You know what I mean? They're like, so for me as well... It's like what COVID's taught me is that in the temporary sense of things, you can really think outside the box when it comes to space. You know what I mean? And I think also as well, diners and consumers and restaurant goers are very even more eager to try these things. You know what I mean? Like just because of COVID and to just give it a shot. So our plan would be to open a winter house in Dublin uh, end of September somewhere. Ooh, watch this face with anticipation. Run that to Christmas and then take two months off in January, February next year. (laughs) And hopefully I can escape to South America or something by that time. There'll be be no travel ban. But uh, but, uh, that's it. Like ultimately throughout COVID, we've just been like, you just got to keep going and you can't plan it. You just got to keep the wheels in motion. You've just got to try one thing. And we tried a lot of stuff that didn't work as well. But you know what I mean? You're just best just if you keep the head up and keep positive and keep going in the right direction. Usually things we find. So uh so that's it. Well brilliant. I'm delighted for you and I love Alta Summer House. If you can get down there, I would highly recommend it. And uh best of luck with the winter house. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Now, next up I am talking to Ray Moore. Ray is an artist and architect who happened to design my house, um, but who is also working on a structure called Culture Castle. It's an open air pandemic safe venue commissioned by Dunleary Rattan County Council. Um, welcome to the podcast, Ray. Hey, Andrea. Thanks for having me. Uh, can you tell us a bit about Culture Castle and its intentions? 
Sure. Yeah. So the Culture Castle um, is a project that I had initially approached Amira Dan about, and it kind of came off the back of the announcement back in February from the Department of Culture that there was this sort of 250k fund um, made available for every council to provide open air space for arts and culture to assist the sector in recovery uh, during the pandemic. Um, so I had a bit of experience in temporary structures, having uh, kind of worked in London quite a bit um, where they were kind of a bit more common um, and approached DLR with the idea and just to see, you know, if something they were interested in. And that was sort of the genesis for it. And like, what is it? How will it be built? Like, sure. So what makes it temporary? <laughs> what makes it temporary? So the Culture Castle, uh, the, the idea or the intention is to build it using, um, primarily using scaffolding and scaffolding systems that, um, you know, are, are typically used on construction sites. So a scaffolding is a sort of framework that allows a building to be built and allows, you know, builders to move around the site safely um, on all these different levels. Um, and you'll see, as you see kind of around town on like big sites as well, a lot of those scaffolding structures are encased in kind of maybe a solid MDF or something at ground level to keep everybody safe. And then higher up, they might have um, these sort of skins of lightweight materials that keep rain out and dust in and provide quite a lot of shelter before being open air. So the idea is to use that technology but to put a different spin on it and, and to make use it to make a kind of pandemic safe theater that's open air, but that's sheltered from, you know, the elements, the big elements that we have here being wind and rain and um, so that it could be used kind of all year round, regardless of the weather. So maybe not so temporary. <laughs> maybe not so temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, you know, some construction sites, you know, exist for five or six years and, <laughs> um, approaching things like on a more temporary basis and maybe it isn't for temporary but using temporary structures allows for a greater sense of like trial and error that you might have like a less cautious approach to making things happen so like there's less of a commitment let's say so you can do more try more and and be a bit braver 100 percent. so absolutely like in this instance we're kind of creating a prototype for something and i mean actually the intention was that it would only exist for three months but the department of culture won't fund the project for such a short time they'll only fund it if it's there for a year so we're kind of trying to just figure out the financials on that long term at the moment and um, but yeah exactly like using structures like this you know if we want to trial new ideas and um, then being able to you know make these pop-up temporary spaces that we can then you know, take down. And I think like, you know, when you're building your house, for example, you don't think about like, how are we going to get rid of it? How are we going to demolish it? Where is it going to go to? So a big part of understanding a temporary structure is also like, what materials do we use? How is it sustainable? How can they be reused in future? Um, and how can we put it up and take it down in a safe way? Um, and yeah, completely. Like I think particularly now with the pandemic, but also with the crisis that we have in the culture sector generally, like I would love to see more of these sort of test spaces and prototype spaces um, where we can test ideas and get feedback and, and uh, make small interventions with, you know, fairly finite amounts of, of funding um, and hopefully then garner support to make, you know, more significant uh, interventions in the future. 
Uh, you talked about working on these a lot more in the UK. Is it something that's more prevalent over there? And do you think that the future for Ireland is like I've like we were talking to um, about Alta and how the restaurant scene is being shaken up a little bit. And is that the same case for Ireland that we might become more open to trying new things in this kind of space? Yeah, I, I hope so. And I would love that. And um, like probably one of the slightly more boring technicalities of this is that a lot of these scaffolding systems that are they're kind of used in Europe and the UK and because Ireland is kind of the last stop, you know, at the end of the line in terms of the flow of stuff and construction, we just have a lot less access to those things and they're a lot more expensive. So like in, in London, like you would have much more advanced temporary structures available on hand just because of the scale of the industry there and the proximity to the to the continent and Ireland, we just don't have that much of it and it is a little bit more pricey but i think you know if we can create the the awareness of the value it can provide for us now and hopefully we can we can get um yeah more access and more use out of those those items and Definitely. And even like one of the companies who were using who are like a really superb specialist scaffolding company, they only recently in the last year, kind of since Brexit, opened an Irish outpost. So before that, like we didn't have access to those teams and that um, kind of incredible insight into how we could make something that would suit, you know, a public performance space um, from all of these things. So thank God for Brexit is what you're saying. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's not just, I mean, scaffolding is one thing, you know, but I suppose as well, you could think about like festivals, right? Like, um, you know, festival tents, they, they're these large spaces and like they can travel around really easily and a lot of talk goes into how you can make something that's dirty that pops up quite quickly in a couple of days and can travel around uh, to multiple different venues. So, um. In theory, yeah, this the scaffolding structure just gives us a lot more security and, and it's sort of more, you can get a longer lifespan out of it. Um, so, yeah, no, fingers crossed we get it there. Um, how would you say the pandemic has influenced how you approach design ed? Do you think things like ventilation and creating more breathable buildings will become more and more important in the industry? Definitely. It's always something we've been aware of in the practice and um, light and ventilation, I think are particularly in uh, domestic spaces, really important. Um, but also in workplaces like the new, the office that we're in, which we moved into in, in May last year during the pandemic specifically, you know, found because it was, you know, really well ventilated and we can have a team here uh, working away. So uh, honestly, I don't think like in terms of how we work yet, yeah, ventilation is is super important but to me it's just solidifying what we already knew and what we would prioritize in the practice and, and hopefully i think now will just be easier to get more people you know in that way of thinking and um, yeah it's kind of making sense to everyone now i think from a public perspective a public um do you think that more architect and design function experts should be involved in more public buildings because you see a lot of uh the the buildings that are going up are bypassing the des- the all important design and architectural de- pieces and that they're therefore not having the correct amount of light not having ventilation not having like going up with heights and etc do you think that's something in public building and what's the word i want to say were they public 
regulations and procurement and stuff. Yeah. So like and when they do mm. call outs for buildings um, for public building. Definitely. I think like there are, you know, let's say for like large office buildings and things, those buildings meet the regulations, but the regulations don't necessarily, you know, deal with situations like pandemics, you know, um, and it is much easier to ventilate smaller buildings like homes where you can get cross ventilation. Whereas, you know, a larger office block that's like all fixed glass and you can't even open a window is a kind of nightmare. Um, but I mean, something I find really interesting when I've been working on this project with DLR, I attended a webinar that was put on by Fulch Ireland. And it was an information webinar for Tennessee Council uh, staff and about all these new funds. Because like obviously the Fulch Ireland have some funds to do with uh, kind of tourism and hospitality then there's like department of culture funds there's like furniture and yeah public realm art installations and what i discovered is the dlr guys sent me along to it and um, just so i had the full picture and all of this funding which is kind of public funding and also coming from the eu that's being kind of given to the councils to distribute the councils then can't use that money themselves so they can't hire more staff internally so they uh, so there's no essentially extra funding for them to carry out the work as like project managers. So they have to spend all that money externally. So they have to hire private designers or private sector, um, you know, service providers, furniture providers, whatever, specialists, contractors, etc. And there was no way, there was no way for at, at that moment, like in the last few months, there are very few ways for the people in the council to find the people outside the council who could actually do the work, where the money had to flow to in order to get the work done. And I think that's something I've learned is, is quite a big issue. And I'm kind of looking back on it now. I think it probably would have been smart for the government to put some kind of like pandemic procurement process in place. And um, because the procurement systems that exist now for particularly smaller businesses to be awarded these public contracts are so arduous and so lengthy that like the pandemic will be over by the time you would have done all the paperwork. Um, and really, I think for some of those funds, they need, they need to have, you know, a few kind of quick access routes to, to connect people and, and get things moving. And we like had a lot of conversations with DLR about how we could do this and we've really squeezed the, the, the absolute um, capacity of what's possible. So like our fee as the architects and our role had to be slashed by about 60% because they couldn't appoint us uh, without going through like a massive procurement tender process which could have taken like six months so instead they kind of gave us this very tiny little uh, contract to allow us to do the absolute bare minimum we could do to make sure we could do something you know and it was and it's been the same in quite a lot of things so it's just it's a very awkward place to try and work in but um yeah hopefully that'll change i think i've definitely learned a lot even in terms of how we're going to build a culture castle like the council can do a certain amount without having to go to planning, but the, but, but the project budget is fixed to a certain sum. And then we're trying to, you know, obviously then have that as the kind of, you know, well, it can only be this big and it can only cost this much, but also if it's not big enough, it's not going to be any use to anyone either from the kind of venue side or the arts and culture side. So this is like super liminal space in this Venn diagram of all the factors that we're trying to thread this very tiny little project through that little hole and um, and hopefully get it get it built. Well, it sounds very exciting. Uh, we'll be watching this one with interest. Uh, what's next? Um, 
holiday hopefully <laughs> good enough thanks a million ray now getting in the sea this week um i actually don't even know if i can talk about it it's so violent the baby um a rapper made some absolutely vile comments about aids and hiv and gay men and it just really was a bit shocking to see um i think as the conversation around hiv um continues and contin- the um it continues to be destigmatized and we talk a bit more openly about it um which needs to continue but even as those conversations are happening 23% of new diagnoses are women yet we see very little visibility of any women with HIV anywhere. So that just shows you there is still a very big stigma attached. And the comments that were made by DeBaby do nothing to help that. Obviously, they are further stigmatizing. Um, however, his boohoo, Elton John called it out um, and Dua Lipa did as well because she collaborated with him and said she does not support them. Anyway, we uh, Boohoo ended their contract with him um, and we'll see what else the rollout, uh, the fallout is of that as well. But um, yeah, absolutely disgusting. baby, get in the sea. You're in the bits. <laughs> and then it's bananas. It's Bananas this week is a personal frustration and I know we're being cautious and I guess that we're on our trajectory, we're doing really well with vaccines, but it makes it so frustrating to see pilot events carried out in other places uh, that we're going to overtake in vaccinations. So Dizzy Rascal played a Tramlines Festival there was 40,000 people at it, maskless, dancing around, having a ball. Um, and when you compare that to the pilot events that we did in Ireland, where people were in cages, um, even though there was antigen tests done, there was testing done at the festival um, for Dizzy Rascal when you went in, everyone had to have a negative test, and then they got to have a ball. So I think it feels bananas that we are so far behind in terms of the events and entertainment sector and hopefully moves will be made to help bring that back. There are a few, like there's a, a few events supported by the department. Emma are doing another live event, but again, it's daytime, very cautious and I'm not against being cautious. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be crazy here, but I think if we learned from the pilot event that we did with the antigen testing and uh, how we can actually manage this, um, I think it's time for us to maybe speed things up for events and get the show on the road because we're literally, like what were the figures I said earlier? We're 70% fully vaccinated. Um, and I know there's a few more weeks to go, but why aren't we talking about what's going to happen in a few more weeks? Um, we're all going to be nearly vaccinated then. It's time. It's time.
And now for my fave bits. I have Alta Summer House down here. I've obviously talked about how stunning that was in the main bit of this episode. So yum, if you can, I would go to that. Um, another fave bit, Saint Sister and CMAT are playing at the Meadows Festival at Emma. Um, that will be a gorgeous day. Loving seeing so many more women um, appearing on lineups and Lyra's doing a good run of things. And it just shows you when things are called out and when there is a focus on having that party that the talent does come true and that if there isn't space given, there's no space for it to be taken. So yeah, loving seeing uh, so many fab Irish female performers coming through. Um, And also loving seeing so many female artists being given uh, space. Um, Fatty Burke uh, has launched the Snug in Hen's Teeth, um, which is fab. It is an ode to the pub and the Snug. Got myself some gorgeous glasses. Um, they actually say gorgeous on them. Love them. Uh, would highly recommend popping in. Loads of work went into it. It looks great. And great to see. We've had such a problem with female artists in museums and galleries. And as we have more um, contemporary galleries opening up, like the likes of Hen's Teeth, Hang Tough, Atelier Maser, or Atelier Now as it is now, that there is more focus being and space and time and and galleries given over to women. Uh, and Fuchsia Macquarie is in Hang Tough at the moment, an exhibition called The Heart Expands. So I just love to see it. And they are my fave bits. This week's book of the week, my book this will be my book of every week. And every time I'm given an opportunity to talk about books, I always go back to this. If you haven't read it, Jason Hickel, Less is More. It is so formative in my opinions about the type of world we live in, how important degrowth is, um, how we move towards the survival of the human race and the world. Um, And I just can't, ask people to read it enough and it really it's it's not heavy it's very easy to read very accessible um and definitely worth your time so if you do have time do read uh jason hickle less is more also a shout out to shames o'reilly did your did you hear mommy died is the irish times number one bestseller we love to see it um so many people coming out with uh, words of support for this book and how it touched them and how uh, a book about a mo- mother dying, leaving 11 kids to be brought up by uh, Seamus's father um, can be funny, heart-wrenching and touching at all at the same time. Um, so yeah, share, go on, Shaco, and get yourself uh, a good reading of that. This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan at Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his tuna chicken well for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did all of our design. This week's tuna chicken roll, I've veered away from actual tuna chicken rolls uh, as they would formerly be electro-y dancey songs. Maybe it's because I haven't been out. Um, And I've actually been going backwards to older songs which are providing that tuna chicken roll feeling. 
And at the moment, that is Fleetwood Mac, Never Going Back Again. God, hopefully that's not about never going back again to raving. Who will, who knows? Time will tell. Uh, I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was The Art of the Temporary. She broke down and let me in. Yeah.